Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Pep Talks podcast. I'm your producer, Richard Ayliffe. For this episode, we are joined by Lois Haywood, CEO of Retail Asset Solutions. Lois has been on an extremely interesting journey under PE ownership. In 2018, Lois transitioned from a divisional MD in a corporate to a PE-backed CEO after leading a carve-out of Retail Asset Solutions from OCS Group with the support of LDC. She then sold a division of that business in a PBAC trade deal, which generated a healthy return for LDC and took the debt out of the business. This put Lois and her management team in a position to perform their own debt-funded management buyout, making them the majority shareholders. We discuss how to run a successful carve-out, how to transition from corporate to PE-backed leadership, and how to run a successful debt-funded management buyout. Over to Lois and Sam. So we're, we're here for our next episode of Map of the Maze, and we're here with Lois Hayward. Hello, Lois. Hello, how are you? Yeah, very good. Great to see you. Um, and it's good to catch up because um, Lois runs a brilliant business called Retail Asset Solutions. And we met probably just as we were starting at the very early phases of Pep Talks. And I think definitely still have Marble Hill partners and I think you definitely it, did yes I think it was 2018 and we came out to Kent Joe and I and uh, I think we met after a dinner um, I think you might have come to a dinner like this and then we met mm. we came to your office and you had just done uh, a carve out of uh, retail asset solutions from OCS did not you which that's correct yes um, and I think it would be quite interesting to tell that story of because uh, I think I think we, amongst our listeners, we have people who are looking at private equity for the first time, but also pri- private equity for the first time through a carve out, which is pretty, is, is, has its own sort of, um, uh, its own unique qualities, doesn't it? It does. So, Retail Asset Solutions was a very small division within the OCS group, and the OCS group were predominantly a facilities management company, and um, our business had absolutely nothing to do with the rest of, of, of what OCS did and there was a, a regime change um, in around about 2015 um, and the decision was made that OCS needed to sort of pull their horns in a little bit and stick to their knitting and sort of return back to their roots of mm-hmm. facilities management so there was other companies which had been bought acquired or grown along the way which OCS um, began to carve out and, and sell um, and they all went to trade buyers um, and it was uh, without any sort of discussions with the management teams. Um, I sort of you know, thought we do stick out like a sore thumb here. Uh, so said to the new um, CEO, if you ever think of carving us out and selling us, would you please give me the opportunity to see if I could do something? Mm-hmm. So I'd set those seeds in their mind and you know, lo and behold, a couple of years later, I got a tap on the shoulder and they said, yes, we are going to market your business, but we will give you the opportunity to um, see if you can do something yourself. Um, uh, But it would be as well as them going out to trade because they had to get good and fair value for the shareholders, which was was fair enough. Um, But OCS was a pretty good parent to us and they helped um, broker some introductions to private equity. So part of 
the job of BDO, who was handling the sale, was they had to assist me in introductions to uh, private equity businesses so that I could actually have the opportunity to do it. And, and I, I feel very fortunate that OCS dealt with us like that because they could have just sort of yeah. sold us to trade and uh, potentially that could have been a, an easier way of doing it. Yeah. But what, what, what was that like for you at that time? Because... I, you know, you, you hadn't had any experience with private equity before, and uh, here you were going into the lion's den. It wasn't exactly a learning curve. It was more <laughs> like a learning mountain. It was, it was, it was huge. Um, I mean, I literally went home and I googled how to do management buyout. That's that's how you know green I was from that point of view. BDO were very good, actually. They um, and I was introduced to about ten or twelve PE businesses, mm -hmm. and they were quite good at coach me saying look this is about cultural fit not just from you know whether they like the look of your business is whether you feel comfortable with with this the you know uh, these private equity houses and ultimately only two private equity houses were invited to to look at the IM um, and we were how good was that IM the IM wasn't too bad actually I mean it was it was and it, it, I think it's difficult for people like BDO to really get under the skin of, of what the business is about it's you know we are quite a quirky business we are quite strange um, but when it really came alive was when we did the management presentations I mean the worst part of, of, of all this period was that I was under um, an NDA and I couldn't speak to my team at all so I just absolutely couldn't so you were on your own I was completely on my own um, my FD was looking at me very strangely, going, "You are asking some extremely strange questions very from me." Very detailed questions. Yeah. So I did actually go to OCS. I said, "We need to bring David under NDA because he's not a daft lad. He's, he's definitely going to suss out that something's going on." So that was actually quite a relief for me because then we could bounce ideas off. But the rest of my team, which was four other team members at the time, um, I wasn't allowed to tell them until a week before we were doing the management presentations. So, um, but, but with the IM, were you, you know, when it, you, you've, if we we won't we won't cover this now. We will cover it in this podcast, yeah. but we won't cover this question now. But you sold, you've now sold the business, mm. and you're in another round of, of ownership, a completely different type of ownership. Mm. But I bet as you were preparing for that, your IM was, oh, was a really strong story. Oh, it's cracking. Whereas <laughs> from a carve out, you don't yes. you don't necessarily understand that as a divisional MD, do you, of, of the power of No, I think we, we definitely understood that if we were going to have private equity interested, that they, they, they needed to see, you know, how we were going to go from A to B and how quickly and it had to be sustainable and it had mm -hmm. to be I mean we did have another part of the business which we um, which came with retail asset solutions, which is vehicle asset solutions. And so that was part of the business, but we got 80% of the addressable UK market. That actually became a real debate with private equity. The, you know, how, how exciting, how, how interesting was that? Yeah. And you know, that made us really think differently because actually it was our highest margin business. So we were thinking in our mind, oh, that's the jewel in the crown. But then you've got private equity going, that's not very exciting because you've only got 20% you know, sort of potential growth in there, whereas these other areas and in particular supply chain, supply chain was the one which always excited private equity, but actually wasn't that interesting to trade because trade, they were just looking at the biggest part of the business, which was stock taking. Yeah. And that was a bit which trade were really interested about, you know, acquiring that part of the business. And then these other... Mm -hmm bits were coming along with it 
yeah, the PE probably saw the opportunity to take oh. cost out as well as gross sales, whereas yeah. corporate was probably just really thinking, well, how does this lift our revenues it, yes. and improve our improve yeah. our share price? Yeah. Um, but t- tell us about what, what the business does, and then we'll we'll go into the sort of okay, so with process the you went through. Retail asset solutions has got um, three main businesses. Uh, all which are um, the, uh, two are quite equal in size, and um, store support is a smaller one. So store support is we um, is predominantly merchandising. So we will put individuals into store or teams into store if there's a refit or a store closure or a store opening. These people will go in and um, uh, repatronise stock in the case of a store closure. Because retailers are very good at getting stock to store, they're mm-hmm. not very good at reverse logistics. So we sort all that out for them. Uh, when it's new openings, we'll go in and we'll merchandise and a, a, a store to a planogram. So basically, all the racking and shelving is there. All the stock is on pallets at the back, and you've got a planogram. And you have to make sure the right thing goes in the right place, you know, at the, the right time. So it's quite a skill actually. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's quite difficult to do. Um, and there's not a huge amount of, of, of companies in, in the UK who, who do what we do to, to our extent because we also do installations and we'll do racking so if you're going to be in queue and you see one of those sinks halfway up a wall which is you know and it's, that, that's the sort of installation that we do so it is quite quite skilled mm-hmm. uh, we then do stock taking that's wall-to-wall stock taking in, in store and that would be for retailers and, and, and well actually sort of all high street retailers and grocers if you sort of you name them we're probably active in, in the vast majority of them um, and that is quite quite a heavy pull on labour. So There's people in the stores yeah, so doing that, the stock taking. Yeah so that is um, teams of people going to store on, on minibuses um, and to go in and count it from you know wall-to-wall so if you take a Tesco's, for example, every single item is counted. So if you go to the deli counter and there is you know, cheese, a pushy, that is weighed and counted. So absolutely, it is down to that level. Every single item in store is counted mm-hmm. um, to quite strict KPIs. So we have to be in and out of those well, How often does that? Do you, how often are you doing that? For yeah, time? Tesco's will um, stop take twice a year. Um, some retailers stop take more frequently that, some less frequently. This this time of year now is our busiest time of year, January, February, March, because you've got some retailers who only t- stop take once a year, they want to do it after the um, end of the January sales, um, generally speaking quite a lot of their accounts of uh, fi- end of March financial mm-hmm. years and so they actually want that, that stock result February, March time, so we always go to this massive spike in, in demand mm-hmm. um, at that time of the year. Um, and then the vehicle asset solutions. What are yeah, so vehicle asset solutions. We um, we sold that part of the business, and we sold that um, April twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah, sorry to uh, think through. Um, and that was a business that went and verified um, assets, as in cars, on um, car dealership forecourts. So, majority of the um, stock in the UK. Uh, was is funded by banks or um, yeah. captive finance houses, and they had to verify that the stock was there. It's part of um, legislation that they have to go and verify that their assets are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had teams of people who would go out and physically check the vehicles there. There was then a further 
lots and lots of paperwork checks to make sure that the vehicle was there, but was it actually owned and had it actually been financed two or three times? And, and all that. So that was quite a complex business. Um, but we got some really funky software, really good dashboard. We could do. Did you have that at the Carvo? We had a um, we had a rudimentary one, right. but we'd also already scoped out what we wanted to do to improve it. So that was part of the value creation. Plan Absolutely. At, at so we improved that, and then what we also did was, and, and to be fair, initially it was a defensive strategy. There was quite a lot of um, companies coming onto the market going, why would you send the chap out to look at it? All you've got to do is put this electronic tag on it, and then, you know, it's a QR code or something like that. And then you send out, you know, make the dealerships go out and verify their own stock and take photographs of it and all these different checks. And mm. you don't have to send a chap out to site to do this. You can do it sort of electronically. Mm. So we actually put our own, um, we built our own um, electronic or, or, or digital solution. Um, but we linked it in with our dashboard that the, 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 boots on the ground solution was so it meant that clients could do maybe one visit every other month but then every week have the digital solution as well so we sort of got the best of both worlds and then covid happened and all of a sudden the clients who didn't want to adopt the digital solution suddenly wanted it immediately and we were good to go but not only could we do it we got all the boots on the ground who could go and train the dealerships and fix the tags to the cars initially. Mm -hmm. And so, whereas the other people with digital solutions just couldn't cope with that. So we cleaned up on on that side. And then a French company wanted to look, initially came to us to look at our software as a service for them. And then said, hey, we don't really want your retail bit, but would you consider selling us the vehicle bit? Obviously, the, quite the, well, the answer was, well, if the price is right, yeah. then yes, of course, we'll consider it. And the price was right. So, yeah, we... Uh, we um, well, let's, let's talk about that in a sec. But mm. um, So that, that sort of sets us off. We, we, we've got the scene now. We know what the business does. And we know you've done this carve-out from mm. OCS, big, big corporate. Yeah. You were a divisional MD. That's right. And yeah. now, you're, now you're on your own with your management team. Absolutely, paddling our canoe. Trying to, trying to get your head around private equity and accelerating the growth and um, what sort of growth annually were you were you expected to deliver OCS versus what growth you did deliver when you were when you'd gone through the buyout yeah I mean OCS had some pretty you know pretty tough targets uh, of growth and we were we were pretty good actually as a as a as a division within OCS we were on the smallest turnover but one of the highest yielding uh, you know, sort of contributors to, to group um, it's a difficult it's a difficult answer really because we always knew that we were inefficient within OCS so we our systems I think were crowbarred into the OCS systems yeah. and it made us inefficient yeah. we knew that when we came out that we could actually make our back of house function so much more efficient just even onboarding people and the amount of people we onboard is, is phenomenal but when you have to fill in a form to onboard and then that has to be hand-keyed into the payroll and hand-keyed into a HR system, we just yeah. knew that by actually sort of investing in technology and investing in, in, in systems that we could actually do a self-service. So anybody who starts with us now will key in their own information to come to a recruitment session 
and then if they're successful, they then key their own information. So we've taken out layers and layers and layers of administration, which we always knew we would be able to do it. Yeah, and that's interesting because in my mindset, I'm very sort of focused on just the top line and then that mm. falling into the EBITDA number. But actually with carve-outs, one of the, what makes them really attractive is the fact that you can really drive efficiency and take cost out mm. and it goes straight into your... Mm. bottom line a bit dull actually yeah i don't <clears throat> might be flippant to say but it might be more might be an easier thing to do than than grow sales at 20 percent annual, um, annualized growth it certainly helps when you when you know that i mean our first initial approach was no noise coming out of ocs we we promised our clients when we told them what was happening that that you know nothing would change same team same it's it, it's just that you know we're no longer part of ocs we can't be called OCS Asset Solutions, which is what we were at the time, and we then renamed ourselves Retail Asset Solutions and Vehicle Asset Solutions in the case of the other company. Mm. But we promised there would be no change, so we were in a transition agreement with OCS anyway. Yep. So they were still getting billed in the same way. And How long was that, the transition? Uh, the transition agreement was, so we carved out in the June, and our transition uh, ended at the end of the December. Mm-hmm. However, it was, well, I thought it was eye-wateringly expensive. And obviously, when you're putting a new payroll in, you have to parallel run for a couple of months and, you know, all, all this like sort of financial thing. systems. Yeah, so we had to do financial systems, payroll, HR, health and safety. You know, it's the whole shebang. Um, but we very, very quickly put our finance systems and our payroll in place because we wanted to make sure we parallel ran for, you know, two or three months because, mm. you know, if you do anything, make sure you pay your people. Uh, you know, don't let that one fall through the gaps. But we were completely out of the transition agreement by the November. So we were very pleased that we managed to, yeah. to do that. And so, but we did replicate some of the systems so that our clients and our team members and our staff had, there was no, 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 exactly seamless, but we always knew that we could, with some investments and development that we could actually make the systems talk to each other we could you mm-hmm. know digitalize and you know do, do quite a lot and so we went through an erp program and we did that probably about well we started it i know in the february of our first sort of full year of trading and we completed that by the end of that year and we took a million pounds out of the back of house so it right. was very successful straight into your EBIT though exactly that and what about your growth plan what what were you looking to do there? Yeah. More customers, sell more to existing customers? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's sort of get a large part of the market on um, stock taking and merchandising and then absolutely making sure that the potential and supply chain was was realised. And, and, and that's, um, we, we've got two major clients and we were talking to a couple of clients and, and we, we really could see the growth there and, and that is a part of the business which is really expanded um and nobody else does what we do we 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 have a, a you know monopoly in that area other client other suppliers have tried to get in there and try to do what we do but um because we were so far ahead and we invested as soon as we carved out of ocs the first thing we did was we invested in a platform within that area so that it made us very sticky with our clients and very, very sticky with their suppliers. Yeah. So it's difficult for clients to buy away from us in that yeah. area now. And did, did the reduction of the cost base help with your pricing yes. of 
pricing of the or yeah. product positioning, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, that's probably something which is quite interesting with private equity because, you know, you've sort of taken all this cost out of back of house. You've got a, a unique service within supply chain for retailers. You know, so is it about time that you go to all your customers and tell them you're going to put 15% on the product? Because they can't go anywhere else, you think. Well, you know, is that quite the right thing to do? So that was a debate we had a few times uh, about whether that was the right thing to do. And management said, no, it's the wrong thing to do because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's you don't want to open the door. You don't want to let anybody else in. We, you know, you need to actually make sure we've got a, a wider base. Um, uh, and so that, that was quite a debate that we did have with, with LDC, that we didn't feel we should be doing that. And certainly on the stock-taking side, taking that, um, that back-of-house overhead out helped us be much more competitive with pricing because there was a couple of players in the market who were um it was a bit of a race to the bottom and they were trying to um drive out you know sort of a couple of players in the market on cost and and that was successful for them but it did mean that the, the margins in stock taking were getting skinnier and skinnier so we were able to still compete but keep our margins at a, a reasonable amount yeah. now the company which is particularly driving that through is struggling massively now because we've got brand new systems very efficient systems very quick equipment because we had to invest in that part of the carve out and they've got aging systems and aging equipment mm. and so they're nowhere near as efficient it's as we are dangerous, dangerous game pricing, it's a to, very the, pricing dang- to the bottom yeah, of the market dangerous game to play very dangerous so um yeah, so you do the carve out, you do the, you manage this through the transitionary agreement, you set up your own processes and systems and financial reporting, you go for growth, take the cost out. Um, you, you get through COVID and COVID actually is, is good for you in, in terms of that uh, vehicle asset solutions. And then this French business comes not, were they, let's talk about the exit now so yeah, okay. were they were they just looking at you as a service provider a software service provider for them well we worked with oxy because um we've got a uk client who wanted um to us to audit their vehicles across europe um, and we just didn't have the european footprint so we went into partnership with two companies one in germany and one in in france and that way we could you know sort of access the whole of the the market and it wasn't it was a defensive strategy once again we won't make a huge amount of money from um, the subcontracting area but both those companies had to use our software systems because the client wanted everything reporting back through the one dashboard uh, now the german company got their own system so they used that and then then fed that information into our dashboard but the french company hadn't they were still quite rudimentary working on um, instead of working on sort of smart devices they were they were sort of working on pen and paper sort of thing wasn't quite that bad but you know mm. you get my drift anyway so that we gave them all the um, the equipment and well they obviously had to rent it all off us yeah. and so they were used to using our systems and they were used to using you know the, the dashboard and everything then COVID hit they sort of phoned up and said how are you what are you doing? And we said, well, the digital solution we've got, the clients have adopted that. And in fact, this client's in the UK wants you to adopt it, you know, in front for that. They then looked at it and said, can we, can we use this solution for our, can we offer this to our clients, everyone? Yeah, everyone. And that's when they said, look, can we, when we start to talk of software as a solution for them to buy into it for all their business. And, and that's when they said, actually, Hellfire, 
let's, my, just, buy let's just buy it. Um, and we, when we set up the business, when we carved out of OCS, we did set the two businesses up very separately. So that meant a carve out of... Did you think that that was quite a, was a high, decent probability of that happening? Well, you could say that, <laughs> but I couldn't possibly comment. I think we got quite, through the process of carving out of OCS, we got quite savvy quite quickly. Because of, there was this, you know, sort of why, you know, these VAS, what was vehicle asset solutions, that exciting to private equity. Mm. So when we set the business up, we did actually think, you know, we should set these up separately because we didn't have the same growth plan for that business. So we did think that that might be one that we might go sort of separate ways on. We didn't think it would be as quick as it was. And in fact, we weren't looking. It yeah, was a preemptive. It was just the opportunity came along and we were just fortunate in as much that the way we'd set it up, carve out of that was, was quite quite seamless. What did that mean to you when that when they made that acquisition in terms of your capital structure yeah, well, and that the investment was, yeah, that, We were debt free. It immediately made us debt free. Um, so low note and senior debt yeah, all gone. Yeah. Yeah, so that that was nice, yeah. you know, because obviously the money. We're smiling here. Well, in the, the money, yeah. So the, you know, LDC were delighted, and we, um, yeah, we were all delighted as well. So we all got our mortgages back and everything yeah. else that we piled into the business. That that was sort of pleasing. But then I suppose that was another thing, which you know, where LDC or private equity is different to run the business. We're like, okay, right, we can concentrate on, you know, sort of running the business now and look at our next phase of growth. And LDC are right, job done. Yeah, we got yeah. a return. Here. Yeah, job done. You know, we are, and felt that it was time to test the market for the RAS part of the business, uh -huh. retail asset solutions part of the business. So, so they stimulated the next. Yeah, we were. I mean, to be fair, myself and the FD were um, not entirely sure if this was the right time to go to market. If we're perfectly frank. There was sort of. So we always get a little bit of an early warning on labour because you know we we we, we do. We do a lot of this recruiting, we always yeah. have done. Um, and we could see that you go to a recruitment session and instead of 15 people turning up, that maybe you get seven or eight. And so we'd already seen that labour was a little bit more difficult to come by before it was all over the headline news. Um, anyway, the, the decisions made that we would, we would go into, that we would go to market. And so. Yeah, and when was this? Well, we. Ex we um, completed on Vehicle Classic Solutions in the April. Um, 21. We had, uh, 21. 21, yeah. So we had a couple of um, discussions in the May and the June board meetings, mm. and then um, BDO were appointed in the August, and the IM was was put out in the end of the September, the October. Yeah. And this, this was... Uh I guess this is the end of COVID, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the end of COVID. It wasn't I mean, completely we, over by no, then, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. But we had um, we'd done well through COVID, but that was because we'd been very swift in changing our offer to to clients. So yeah. all of a sudden, you know, they, nobody wanted a load of stock takers coming in and, and counting stock. And frankly, they got no stock on the shelves to count. So we were just saying to people like Tesco's and Asda, all, all the, the the grocery retailers, saying, look. Do you want us to send minibus full of people into your stores to stock your shelves? I mean, they got sickness themselves, they got problems. Yeah, it was all a big learning yeah. curve for them. And, and there was like, so many, yes, please. And so 
Tesco stock takers who were used to stock taking in Tesco's could go in very familiar with those stores and we were we were sort of just literally now we could have we could have chosen to say to everybody you know we're going to put you on furlough go home don't do anything and in fact it was always choice with our colleagues as well that we we didn't nobody had to work it was a choice if you wanted to work um and quite a few people initially thought hmm, i think i might take this furlough this is quite exciting you know we could sit at home within three weeks we were getting people phone up saying get me out of get here. me out literally get me out of here you know it, it's it's, yeah. it's doing my head in um so we never had a problem with the amount of people going out to yeah. to, to work during covid um, so it's so, good for you. I mean, in, all, yeah. in, in many respects. So the IM goes out in August yeah. twenty one. Yeah, and then from, everything yeah. on the news is then as, as we're going through that autumn is, um, you know, lack of labour and um, sort of inflation and you know how you're going to get mm -hmm. sort of the price increases. So what's happening? We did actually have um, some serious bids in, and then we we had question after question about how you're going to stuff up next year how are you going to get those increases out of the the retailers you know they're, they're notoriously difficult to and, and we were supremely confident that we could do it we you know this is you know getting labor out to work is, is yeah. a big part of our job and yes i mean retailers has have driven us down an open book pricing policy probably about five years ago which was very clever for procurement at the time because they could see everything, but when you go to procurement and you go, all right, this is open book, we just need, you know, labour and fuel's gone up and th th there's nowhere for them to go. So we were always confident that we would get the price increases, but it ultimately derailed the process. It was the private equity riskometer was swinging towards yeah. heavy risk. Yeah, so we got one trade buyer who was um, sort of, it was completely nothing to do with the trade we were in, but were, were sort of bulking. Mm -hmm. um, and they got one, and they bought uh, that summer a um, supply chain business, a, a, a depot, and or some depots, and uh, they were massively struggling with recruitment. And so ultimately it, that made them really nervous because they could see a lot of our businesses around depots and DCs and, and so they it's said, look, you know, we really, really like the business, but we're going to pass on this. And if you're still around next summer, we'll be really interested in speaking to you, basically, once they could see if we'd fallen over or not. Um, so basically, we decided that, that the Christmas we would sort of take stock and uh, stand back. And in the January board meeting, we said, would you mind us having a go? And raising the capital and get raising the finance were ourselves. You, how confident were you of being able to get out there and do a deal just as a management team? Well, I think if you said. And you what know, you're talking about here is you buying the business absolutely. entirely as a management yes, team with no yes. PE support. So, the thing which I learnt going into process of in, in that autumn, which I didn't know when I carved out of OCS, yeah. is that everybody has advisors. So everybody, you know, due diligence, financial, legal, you name it, there's advisors on it. And the only people who didn't have advisors when we carved out of OCS in that point was the management team. And in fact, we didn't even know it was a thing. And the first time I knew it was a thing was when I joined Pep Talks and your first conference. Yeah. And I was like, you know, <laughs> Crikey, you know, everybody, everybody's got, so what we did do is when we looked at that process through that autumn, we had management advisors. Okay, so they were already on board, 
by the time you had the board meeting in January. Yeah, so we, they, yeah, when it all sort of, the, the, the Christmas, when we said, right, we're going to stand back and take stock yeah. on this, um, I sat down to David, this doesn't feel like a huge amount of money. Well, it obviously is, but, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, surely we should be able to raise this. And um, my family was going, I don't think we do it through, you know, sort of just bank, normal bank debt. We need to find somebody. So we went to our... Um, uh, our management advisors who, um, as I mean, I, I'll name check them because they were just fantastic. So it was Dealspan, and Dealspan is Chris Hurley and um, Andy Linden, who yeah. were previously LDC. Yeah. Now, to be fair, LDC actually introduced us to them as management advisors, and we were happy to take them on. Mm-hmm. They are exceptionally well connected, and so we went and had a meeting with them and said, Look, do you think this is feasible? Do you know? enough contacts that we don't to be able to potentially do this and um, we set them off and they said yeah we think it is doable leave it with us and they went to five and one declined said it wasn't for them and they managed to get competitive tension between four who were crawling over each and other. De- they were debt funds that you support, yeah. they were yeah. private debt funds. Yeah, yeah. So d- some were small, some were large, some were you know um, but Beachbrook, there's a couple of things. One, we really like the team. Mm-hmm. Two, it was, it was a great deal for us. That, no, no doubt about it, it was, it's a great deal for us. But the other thing is that we, we, the ethics, where, the way they fund it is that, uh, so I don't know where they, they take money from um, local government te- pension schemes and they invest that so it actually gets mm-hmm. the best return possible on that and actually felt quite so public sector yeah. pensions. Yeah, but that sort of felt quite an ethical yeah. uh, way, uh, yeah, thing to do, that that's going back into a public, you know, sort of government pension scheme. Um, so, yeah, we, but without deal span, um, I'm not convinced we would have, well, I don't think we'd have found four. Yeah, Did they go through the same rigour of financial and commercial DD? That yes. Yeah. So it's exactly the same process yeah. as selling to another private equity fund. Yeah, I mean, we'd spent, you know, quite a um, eye-watering amount on sort of financial, um, you know, sort of DD and what have you. And so what we were able to do is because that was still live and relevant, we were able to pay for a top-up. Bit of an extension. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, PwC team sort of went back and they went through it all again. And then we traded for another two or three months. So uh-huh. that was that was added on. Um but yeah, I mean, all, and through this period of time, we knew we got this fixed cost from LDC, which was going to expire in the uh, May, and you know we had to get the deal done. So, fi- uh, do you mean what do you mean a fixed cost? So we'd agree. We we went to LDC. So would you let the management buy it? And so they went to the investment committee, and they said yes, we'll let you buy it. Yeah. Um, and they set a price on at it. At this price. At this that. price, um, which which is a little bit annoying because we knew that they would take slightly less when we were in this process of running up towards the Christmas. And so you know, I, I was a little bit miffed about that. However, the price that they put on the table was doable. It stacked up in our figures, um, but that was the maximum that we, we, we could have done it for. So therefore, it was very important that we got that deal done before it went back to review at the investment committee, which was going to be the end of the May. And um, we knew they would have revalued the business again, without a doubt, because we'd nailed every one of our price increases um, uh, by the end of the April, and we hadn't 
incurred any service credits uh, due to um, you know sort of lack of labour or performance or anything like that. So we basically smashed the first quarter and got all the price increases. So present that at the next board meeting. The price was only going to go one way, in which case we wouldn't have been able to do it. So what does it mean to you as a management team when you're buying the business in its entirety? You, do you roll over all of your equity? So do you get a payday in the same way as you would do if you're do doing a secondary or a no. tertiary deal? No, you don't. <laughs> Sadly not, you don't get a big payday. Um, and uh, for us, you know, it, it is it is looking to the future. I think the we always thought that you know when we went into this private equity, five seven years, you know, yeah. would we potentially would have been with LDC. Well, we, that was very much you know sort of truncated down. So you know from from our point of view to then just roll out, we'd had our loan notes back, yeah. so we got out you of that. De-risked a bit. Yeah, we got out of that. You know, oh my goodness me, you know, taking out an extra mortgage on the house. That that. You know that had been paid back. So, in a way, the way we looked at it, and we still look at it, is you, you know, we, we're we're investing the money that we've made through the last deal, but we haven't had our hands on it then. We won't, and we're just reinvesting it and watching it grow mm -hmm. for the future. Um, so you roll all of your all of your equity back yeah. into the new deal. Um, I, mean, I don't know if you I don't know if you can tell me how much the debt costs, but I'm I I won't ask. Yeah. I'm just going to guess. I mean. I guess you're with a low, you're with a debt fund, so it's going to be sort of closer to ten percent, eight to twelve percent, probably in that sort of bracket. It's sub ten. Um, but it's more expensive than it would be if it was traditional bank debt. Yes. But it's from what I from what I understand, we haven't talked about this already. No. <laughs> from what I understand, it's a little bit less restrictive in terms of covenants. Um, it's longer term capital. And they're a lender, right? So if yes. you if you want to acquire and if you want to do something interesting that can accelerate growth, they'll they'll be a they'll be a source of further funding. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, without a doubt. So yeah. so it's very attractive. It puts you in control. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's a bit more expensive, but I mean, debt. Look what's happened in the last twelve months. You'd be paying a lot more for, you know, a, a typical capital structure. Yeah. It, it, timing is. Is everything? I mean, it really is because had um, had we not started the process when we did, then it would have. You know, I think if we hadn't have done it in May, we even without LDC thinking we'd have to put the fixed price up. I'm not sure we'd have actually managed to get it done because yeah. all of a sudden, you know, money became scarce. People were. I think the deal could have sort of dragged on a little bit, and then would we have been able to do it? I I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean. Beachbrook, when we, you know, at our last board meeting, are very happy with with their investment in us, and you know they are very comfortable because we just have them two, two observers on the board. Mm -hmm. um, but that's as much, and it's very light touch. Yeah, it's great. I mean, completely backing the business, backing yourselves. Yeah, in control. Um, an opportunity to really build something and everybody to be able to participate in that yes absolutely and you know we always you know that focus and our concentration at the moment is on, on growth and it's on um it's maintaining our market share within the store support 
Um, that's the area which has sort of taken hit on margin because of accommodation costs and labour costs. So, you know, this year it's about actually bringing that margin back up to the right level for, for that business. Um, supply chain is all about growth, 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 because there's a very, very exciting opportunity that we might be able to work with the government on a contract to help with smart borders. So um, the supply chain concept of um, uh, doing some audit and it's, it's sample auditing, but because of our Prosper system, which we invested once again, this a huge amount of investment as soon as we carved out from, from OCS, um, that um, has the ability to be able to talk with um, some of these consortiums who are bidding for uh, for, for, for the smart border. So it's six consortiums right. who are bidding and we are um, with several of the consortiums and actually have now talking to government directly because they want to know whether whichever consortium they chose could our system be adapted to. So that's a real game changer for us. That would be yeah, supply chain times four. Yeah, that's fantastic. What a journey you've been on since since the carve out from OCS. It you, is. You are owners of a business now. We are. We are. You, you are shareholders of a business now. You, yeah. You're majority shareholders of Absolutely. a business. Absolutely. Yes. It's, uh, Would you ever go back? No. <laughs> no. Um, no, it's, it's been a real journey. Um, and, no, and I've got a really strong team. And a, you know, and a, a team that really trust. And um, you know, we are when we had um, the due diligence report. So uh, Beachbrook um, in, employed a, a business to a bit of psychometric and management uh, testing. Yeah. And, and his feedback was either these people are so well rehearsed and so you know, the, 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 but they I've never known the team so gelled together with the same vision, the same values, the same how to get there, the same roadmap. And he said either they've rehearsed themselves to the nth or they, they truly all believe in the same thing. Mm. That was quite pleasing. That was brilliant. Well, well done. Great to hear the story. Thank you. Congratulations and good luck. Yes, well, yes to the next, uh, <laughs> next uh, chapter. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back and have another conversation in a couple of years' time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.